Good morning. I'm Mitch Green, the missions pastor here on staff. Um, so they called in the backup today. So I'm excited um, to bring the word to you. Um, we, we're, we'll be talking about Acts 12 in a bit. So if you want to feel free to get there in your Bible, um, we'll get there in a moment. But a little bit about me. So again, I'm the missions pastor on staff. So I oversee all of our local outreach efforts and all of our global efforts. And so the, I've been doing the EV trainings all summer, which has been pretty awesome. I've got to have some incredible conversations um, with just you guys as we begin to pray and process what it looks like for us to love the people in front of us. And then we've got to do these awesome things like block parties that began last weekend. And globally, actually, we've got a pretty cool thing coming up. We leave next week for our mission trip to El Salvador. And see, El Salvador is something that this church has been doing, I mean, forever. I mean, since the existence of this church, the trips to El Salvador have existed. And it's pretty incredible. Literally about every year, we actually help about 1,200 patients with their different medical needs in the clinics. We go to five different cities. But the best thing that we do in El Salvador is that we lift up the local church. I mean, people don't just associate the mission trip with us because we're there once a year. You know, they're not going to see us again. They really associate it with the local church down there. And also the fact that we just get to share the gospel with everybody that comes through there. I mean, as they're sitting there, and you can imagine a clinic with about 300 people and, you know, seven to 10 doctors takes some time to get through. We get to have some pretty incredible conversations with people about where they're at. And so we leave next Saturday. We'll be back the following Saturday. Look forward to next week. We're going to actually try to shoot you a little something while we're there so you can just get a taste of what we're doing on the ground. But if if you're going to El Salvador next week, will you just stand up for us this morning? Before I jump in and do anything else, I just want to pray for our trip to El Salvador, and then we'll jump into our sermon this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so thankful, um, just as we sang, God, that you rescued us. And Father, that you came to us while we were lost. And God, we are so privileged, and we are so blessed God, you've given us resources, you've given us skills, you've given us abilities, and Father, I'm just so thankful for the people that are standing up right now that have just responded faithfully to you to say, God, what you've given to us, let's take it to El Salvador and give it to the people over there. And so, Father, we pray that you go before us, we pray for protection. God, we're just so thankful that you've called us to El Salvador. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you. You guys can take a seat. So, This morning, as I said, we're talking about Acts 12, and before we get in, I really just want to tell you why I'm so pumped about this series, and really why I'm so excited about Invite Your One. Um, This this series, in my mind, and really Invite Your One, began a very, very long time ago. See, for me, I remember sitting in a staff meeting. I had been here about six months. I've been here a little over two years now, and I remember sitting in the staff meeting about six months in, and one of our staff meetings every month, Scott begins to lay out his vision, what God's giving him for our church to us as a staff, for us to hear, to process, to think about, to begin to pray about. And at this meeting, Scott begins to talk about how he wants our church to be a church that grows through discipleship. Now, to me, that's something that you would think every church is supposed to do. But as I begin to think about it, and, I'm, and I had worked in church for about five years at this point in time, maybe five or six years, I begin to think, and I was thinking, often we as a church, we grow, we preach the word, people come and they respond, but are we a church that's growing specifically by our discipleship efforts? And I began to think, and I was like, honestly, sometimes no. I mean, if I stand at the counter every week, a lot of the new people who come to our church, they either moved in the area or they came here because they're leaving another church in the area. And we want those people here. I mean, those people need the gospel. They need Jesus just as much as everybody else. But if I, you were to ask me, how do I want to see our church to grow? I want our church to grow through you guys. 
I want our church to grow because we're out in the world and our different spheres of influence impacting the people around us, living in a way that we can't help but to share the gospel with them because of what God's done for us. That's how I want to see people come to our church. I want people who come through our doors to actually already know people who are here. They've been invited by people who are here. And so as Scott laid this out before us, for me, this was, I mean, simple but revolutionary. Because I began to think, okay, what would our, how would our church look different if the people who were coming were brought with somebody else? And so that's led us all the way to this point where practically we've said on August 5th, we want to start a point where we're going to encourage you to bring your friends to church that day. You can know that it's a safe day to have them here. And not just bring them here so that we can share the gospel with them, but we're going to ask you on the back end, okay, take them to lunch, meet them at the front door, make sure they're comfortable. But we really believe that we're on to something here with you guys I mean, there's nothing special about us up here. We have the privilege to open the word and share with you, but we're on the same level. And so we really believe that our church can grow through the efforts of you guys out there reaching the people in the community, not to grow for our own glory, because we want more people to be impacted just the way as we watched Maddie in the baptism over here. That's what we want to see. And so that's our prayer. That's why we're talking through Acts. Why? Because Acts was the beginning point of this, right? You have Jesus speaking to the disciples at the very end, his very last words as he says to them. He says, go throughout all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They responded. They did it. They went all throughout the world. You know, the beginning small numbers of them, as it says, and we've learned through Acts, they added to their number daily, not by their own abilities, but on reliance of the Holy Spirit and his words. And so they went forth. And guess what? They went forth all the way to the point that the ends of the world that he was talking about, well, we're in Greenwood, Indiana this morning, worshiping God, largely in response to the people that responded to the call that Jesus placed on them 2,000 years ago. And so that's why I'm so excited about this Acts series, because there's no better way for us to talk about being on mission than to look at when the church first decided to step out on mission, not on their own ability, but on Christ's ability. And also, I'm pumped for Invite Your One on August 5th. And I'll get, some, I'll get back to that a little bit here on the end and some practical things. This morning, um, we're talking about prayer. You've probably noticed some prayer cards in your seat. Um, I will not ignore those either. I will talk a little bit more about those um, later today. And so we're in Acts 12. Um, Acts 12 is a, it's a really interesting story. When, when Scott asked me to preach it, um, at first, I was kind of um, curious because the main theme of Acts 12 is King Herod messes with God, and then King Herod gets killed because he messes with God. And so for me, I was like, okay, I don't know where we're going with that this morning, but I'm sure I can find some sort of relevancy. But what I noticed in the middle of Acts 12 is this really interesting story about prayer. So let's go ahead and jump in this morning. Acts 12, verse 1. About, about the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the day of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers that guarded him, intended after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door uh, were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. 
and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that uh, he did not know that was what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's an angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his With his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. A lot happens in this story, okay? There's a lot going on. So King Herod, this is the King Herod who is the grandson of the King Herod that's trying to kill Jesus, trying to kill all the firstborn children. And so King Herod wants to be very liked by the Jewish people. He wants to be a very Jewish king. And so at this point, King Herod has already killed James, Now, imagine if you're in the church at this time, and you've lost basically one of your main leaders, James. And now, at the same time, King Herod has taken Peter, and he's arrested him. And not that he just arrest him. I mean, this scene that we see, Peter is like sleeping between two guards on both his sides, locked in a cell with other guards surrounding it. And so, this is the scene as the story begins. And it says that there are people in the church that they are back at their homes, and they're praying for Peter. They're praying for Peter's release. And so as they're praying for this, what happens? God delivers upon their request. So an angel comes to Peter and wakes up Peter. Peter doesn't even know what's going on. He's still in a daze. And so this angel takes Peter, takes him into the town, takes him to the house where the very people who are praying for his release are there praying. Now keep in mind, they're praying in like the dead middle of the night for this to happen. This is how much they want to see Peter released. And so as Peter walks up to the gate, standing there in the middle of the city, I mean, you can imagine this. You've just escaped from prison And an angel leaves you in the middle of the city where people are probably trying to look for you. And there's this servant girl named Rhoda who comes to him and says, Peter, says, or sees Peter, hears his voice, is excited that she sees him, but she doesn't let him in. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm just like, look, we can talk about all this inside, but please just let me in the gate. I'm getting ready to be chased after. But she doesn't do that. So she goes to the people, the very people who are praying for Peter's release, and says, I've got great news. What you have been praying for is actually happening. Peter is at our front gate. But guess what they say? As the story tells us, they say, nope, it's probably Peter's ghost. Nope, it's probably Peter's angel. It can't be Peter. Peter's locked in prison. And this raises the question to us, why are they praying for it if when it actually happens, they don't even believe that it can happen? See, they begin to let their circumstances, you know, the fact that James is now dead, Peter 
who is probably the greatest leader in the church left, is locked up in prison, they begin to let these circumstances affect the way that they view what God can actually do and God can actually accomplish. So they're doing what many of us do sometimes. They're merely praying out of habit at this point, right? They're praying, why? Because prayer is something that we're supposed to do. I mean, that's what it says to me. If you're praying for something and God actually delivers on it, but you don't even believe that God can deliver on it, then you're probably praying out of habit. And see, we look at that and we say two things. One, how can we blame them? You've lost the leaders of the church. You're sitting there and you're wondering who's, what's next, what's God's plan. They begin to let their circumstances define the way that they approach the Father in prayer. And see, we do the same thing here. I, how many times in my life do I do this, but it's actually the opposite? See, I look around me and I say, God, everything's so good. My circumstances are so good. I've got money, I've got food, I've got friends, I've got everything I want, Father. Therefore, I'm not even, I'm going to go one step farther than them. I'm not even going to approach you in prayer because, God, my circumstances are fine. And see, to really know what these people are thinking about prayer here in Acts 12, we've got to turn back to Luke 11 when Jesus actually teaches them about prayer. And see, here's why. Because as we've said in this series, Luke writes both Acts and he writes Luke. And it really kind of plays out like this. Luke is the doctrine. You know, Jesus is teaching them. He's literally rewriting theology before their eyes. You know, his people are sitting there and they say, he says, you know, you've heard it as this. Let me take it one step farther for you. Jesus begins to define the doctrine that the church begins to live on. And then Acts is where the church begins to live it out. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 11 to just look at some of Jesus' words that he's taught these very same people about prayer. And so we're going to just start here at Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, all right, we're going to pause there because we all know this next part where Jesus lays out the picture of what prayer is supposed to look like. Now, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm watching all the incredible ministry that he's done, I've seen Jesus heal people. I've seen Jesus even preach and just numbers begin to come over. I'm going to look at Jesus if I'm following him. And my first request for Jesus, what can you teach me, is probably going to be one of those two things. Jesus, teach me how to heal somebody. That would be pretty cool, right? If I could heal people like you do, Jesus, teach me how to do that. Or maybe I would say, Jesus, when you preach, everybody listens. Jesus, I want to know how to preach exactly how you do. Jesus, teach me how to do that. But that's not what they ask. See, they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And see, this is the first point, and this is really why they ask him that, is because, see, they know that prayer is powerful. See, they've watched Jesus long enough to see that Jesus' ministry actually begins with the prayer. Begins when he's in separation, when he's by himself, when he's secluded, when he's praying. That's where Jesus' ministry begins, is through the prayer. Not when Jesus is healing people. Why? Because, see, we know that we can't just save people by our own wit or on our own accord. We don't possess those powers on our own. 
See, the only way we possess those powers is by reliance on the Holy Spirit and reliance on Jesus. And so they understand that prayer is powerful. And so that's the first thing that Jesus really begins to teach them as he lays out this picture of, okay, what does prayer look like? He, you know, he begins to say, you know, we begin with praise, then we lift our petitions before the Lord, then we confess what's going on in our hearts, and that's where Jesus teaches them how to pray. And we're not going to focus on that part this morning because we know that part very well. But see, as we know that ministry begins with prayer, I mean, this is something that's even been like reflected historically. You look at every great movement of the church. I mean, you look at the Reformation, you look at the very beginning of the church, you look at what these people are doing in this story here. All great ministry begins with submitting ourselves before the Father in prayer, because that's where the power lies. For many of us, and I have done this time and time again, when I'm reaching out to somebody, when I want to share the gospel with them, when I want to invite my friend to church, the first thing that I do is I invite them to church. And then on the back end, maybe I'm praying about it because I'm starting to get a little nervous. But see, the picture that Jesus lays out for us is that our ministry begins by saying, we're going to pray before the Father and submit this to him. And so my question for us this morning is, on August 5th, if this is something that we're wanting to step into, have we began to pray for this? We began to ask God to move in our midst. We began to say, God, who do you want me to reach out to? Because our ministry begins with prayer. The second point, and this starts in verse 5, is that Jesus calls us to pray often. Here's the story, and this is a really interesting story. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his, imp his impudence, he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, to ask and it will be given to you, seek and it will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Now this is a really, really interesting story when you think about it and how it relates to prayer. And so Jesus is sharing this story with them about a man, a friend of a guy, who goes to a guy's house in the middle of the night and he asks for three loaves of bread. Now, keep in mind, they go to bed at like 7 p.m. So midnight to me is like, that's no big deal. I'm probably still up. I'm probably watching TV. I'm probably doing something. To them, this is the dead middle of the night. And so this man goes to him and says, hey, bud, I got a friend over. I don't have any food. Can I get some Pop-Tarts? Can I get some snacks? Whatever you got in your pantry, I need something for my friend. And this guy's in his dead sleep. And most of us, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we may just shut you know, the door on them, especially if it's our friend. I mean, sometimes if a stranger requests something from me, I'm more likely to actually grant their request than if it's a friend of mine. Because a friend, I'm like, I feel a little more okay about just telling them off and saying, go away. And so this friend comes to his door and says, I need these three loaves of bread. And the man's response is, he gives him the three loaves of bread. And this is what's interesting. Not because he's his friend. Not because he likes him so much. Why? Because his impudence, a.k.a. because his request was so crazy, because he came at such a weird time, because the fact that he asked, asked him for something that he wasn't expecting, the fact that it was such a consistent request to his friend, that he was so persistent in what he wanted, that's why the friend grants his request. 
And so what does this say about our prayer lives? Well, I think partially what Jesus is telling us to do is that he wants us to come before him with all our requests. But secondly, he wants us to consistently approach him often, consistently to go before the Father in prayer. We understand that prayer is powerful, but I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I'm like going to lift up something once, and I just think, oh, that's enough for God. He's heard it one time. He's God. He can remember it. But then when I read this story, there's something very clear in here that actually says, actually, God wants me to kind of consistently come before him and pray. And so the story is so interesting that Luke actually tells a very similar story a couple chapters later because I think he understands that we're going to read this and be like, I don't get that one. Let's move on to the next story. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 7. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. Catch that. Because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. So, uh, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge says, says, and will not your God give you justice to his elect, who cry to him both day and night? Will he delay long over them? So we got this two story, these two stories on prayer, right? We got this first one, where there's this man who comes to him in the middle of the night, Grant asking for this request in bread, and it says because of his impudence, his request is granted. We've got this story that Luke tells that's very similar just seven chapters later on prayer where Luke says that where God, Jesus actually says that because of this lady's persistence, the judge grants her request. Because of the fact that she was almost annoyed by him, the God, that, that the judge grants her request. Now, the, when we read these stories... I think sometimes we have the tendency to say, okay, what, how do these relate to God? We begin to compare these to God. And see, we know that we don't want to think of God as some cranky old judge who just grants a request because someone comes before him enough that he's annoyed and he grants their request, right? We don't want to think God as someone who's just like, ah, I'm done with it. It's the middle of the night. Here's your three loaves of bread. But see, what we're supposed to do when we read these stories is actually contrast God to those characteristics. See, that's what God does at the end of Luke 11, which we'll look at here in a minute. But at the end of 18, he says here, how much more would your good Father in heaven grant your request than, these judge, than this judge? So the point is that God wants us to pray to him often. God wants us to consistently come before the Father over and over and over over and over and again, to continually to ask, continually to seek, continually to knock at God's door, seeking for him to grant our request. Why? Honestly, we'd have to talk for a lot longer for me to give you that answer, and I don't really know. But if you read these stories, clearly this is the truth that both these stories are telling. I think sometimes we want all the answers, but what we need to actually do is look at the parable that Jesus teaches and says, okay, God, I'm supposed to continually bring my request before you, continually to ask you 
to answer my prayers. So sometimes we just want to pray to God once, but that's not really what God's calling us to do. All right, let's turn back to Luke chapter 11, and I promise relevancy's coming here in a minute. Luke 11, uh, look at verse 9 through 13. Jesus continues to teach him about prayer as he says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them, to those who ask of him? Basically what he's saying in this story is parents in the room, your son comes, for you, comes to you and says, Dad, I want one more chicken nugget. You're not going to say, I mean, you may say, no, you've had way too many, but you're not going to look at your son and you're going to say, actually, here's a scorpion, here's a snake. Nobody does that. And see, God says, we're not perfect. So how much more then will the good Father in heaven, when we go before him and we submit our request, for, request to him, will he give us, it doesn't say automatically grant our request, right? That's not what it says. It says will give us his Holy Spirit. Will give us something to rely on. Will give us ultimately what we're looking for. And so Luke chapter 11, I mean, we focus on, often on the Lord's Prayer. But really what Jesus is teaching as we continue to read is that he wants us to come and submit ourselves before the Father often, constantly to be seeking, constantly to be asking, constantly to be knocking. The Father wants us to do that. And so first, prayer is powerful. Clearly they understood this. They could have asked Jesus to teach them a number of things. And in fact, this isn't something where like if you read the rest of Luke, next chapter they're like, Jesus, teach us how to heal people. That doesn't happen. They actually only ask Jesus that directly to teach them how to pray because they know the power is there. And secondly, Jesus calls them to pray and submit themselves to the Father often. Now, for many of us in the room, this is something that I have struggled with much in my life. We could, you probably heard me this morning. You've probably said a little bit, okay, Mitch, I get that. I'm supposed to pray often. Prayer is powerful. I've heard all these things before. But what we say our struggle is, is we say we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. I'm not like a wordsmith. I'm not good with my words. I don't know what God wants me to say to him. And I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to bring before the Father. I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. This is where there's some really good news for you at the end of this passage. And it actually um, a better way to display it is really by looking at Romans 8, 26. And this is what the Bible teaches us about our prayers. And the third truth is this. The Holy Spirit makes up for the weaknesses in our prayers. Turn with me to Romans eight twenty six. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What an incredible truth found in Scripture. Guys, when we consistently go before the Father, when we don't even know what to say, the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. See, 
Why do we consistently go before God in prayer? Well, one, because we know the powers in that, but also even in our weakest prayers, when we can't come up with the words, when we don't know what to say, that God wants us to go before him, and the Holy Spirit is even going to make up for the gaps in our prayers. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. There are many, many times in my life where I'm going before God, and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, I don't even know what to say, but I just need to submit myself before you. And to know that there's an adversary on my behalf doing the same thing, going before the Father and asking God to answer the prayers, it's incredible. It's so encouraging. We need to know that. So why do we pray? Well, first, because the prayer is powerful. Second, God calls us to pray often. And third, even in our weakest prayers, the Holy Spirit makes up for our, for, our, for our weakness in our prayers. So I've got two practical tips for you this morning on prayer. And then we're actually going to take some time this morning and we're going to pray together. And the first tip is this. If you want to grow your prayer life, it's really, it's really the truth for every... If you heard me in EV training, I've said this for like 30 things because it's true. If you want to grow your prayer life, you want to grow your faith, the best way to grow your faith is expand the object of your faith. Grow your view of who God is and your prayer life is going to grow. So how do we do that? Well, we spend time in the Word. We spend time learning the characteristics of God, learning about who God is, and as we grow in knowledge, we're going to grow in confidence of who God is, and it's going to affect the way we pray. It's going to affect the confidence in our prayers when we grow to know more of who God is. Now, secondly, this, this is pretty obvious. How do you grow your prayer life? You pray. You spend time praying. See, Prayer is something that is actually more caught than taught. If you know what I'm saying, you, you know, how do you grow your prayer life? How do you become someone who defines, do I have a pretty healthy prayer life? You're consistently praying before the Father. I remember there's this lady growing up, and, and every time I felt like I interacted with her, she was praying. I mean, if I like, my, she was like my mom's mentor, and every time I would walk into her house, it's like she looked like she just got done praying, and every time we're there, what's she doing? She's praying with my mom, and, and you want to you grow your prayer life, the best way to grow your prayer life is to spend time in prayer, to spend time submitting yourself before the Father and saying, God, what do you have for me? And God will give you the words. So spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, and through that consistency, your prayer life will grow. So here's what we're going to do. Um, you guys got these cards on your seat, and um, we're going to turn um, here just to talk a little bit about August 5th and invite your one. Again, um, I hope and I pray that you guys understand where our heart's at with something like this. Um, this is not our goal to really grow, you know, our church for our own glory. Um, we don't really, that really just makes more work. Really, it's not something that, you know, we're just after it for that sake. But we want to see more happen like we saw today in the baptism. And so August 5th for us is just a way, it's just a day. I know many of you guys have already started inviting your friends, and that's incredible. But it's a way for us to say, okay, we want to take a step out together as a community and say we want to be a church that grows through discipleship. We want to be a church that's reaching the lost. And so on August 5th, that's what we're going to do. But as we learn today, our ministry actually begins with prayer. And now, I want to say this to you um, because this is something um, that happened to me a few weeks ago. We're going to take time this morning we're going to pray together. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get stuck in the rigidness of a service. 
Um, I was sitting back there a couple weeks ago. We're taking communion. What did I want to do? I wanted to like step to the side and take communion with my wife, but I was like, ah, nobody else is doing that. And so I don't want to be the one weird guy who's stepping to the side to take communion with my wife. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to look weird. I want to give you some freedom this morning. So here in a moment, the band's going to come back forward and we're going to worship together and we're going to continue worshiping and praying for our service. And I just want to ask that for many of you guys, you're probably in a different spot with Invite Your One. Many of you, you're probably sitting out there and you're probably saying, you know what, I've not even considered who my one is. I want to ask you to take some time this morning and pray to God and say, God, who do you want me to reach out to? Who do you want me to share with? Many of you guys, you may have your one, but you have no clue what your first step looks like to reach out to them. Even as I've talked about it in this sermon today, the person's echoing in your brain, but you don't know what to say or what to do. Begin by bringing that before the Father this morning. And then there's also some of us in the room who we're ready to go for invite your one. But for us, we were just thinking, ah, they're going to get here and we're going to figure it out from there. Begin the ministry by praying today. Begin by submitting it to the Father and saying, God, I understand that this morning in this place is where my ministry begins. I'm not going to be someone who I just go forth and I try to just share with people on my own efforts. God, I want to rely on you this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to have a few minutes in here where we can pray. We've been given these cards. There's nothing special about these. This is just a reminder for you. If you want to write down your one, I've got a little prayer wall in my house. You know, many of you guys have that. You can hang this card on your prayer wall. You can pray for them. This is just a consistent reminder for us to be a people that we're loving and we're reaching the ones in front of us. So I don't know where you guys are at this morning, but for me, I've got nerves as it leads into August 5th. I've got questions about who. I've got scheduled things with the people I'm inviting that I got to work around. But I want to start today with everybody in this room praying for the Father, just asking God to go before us on August 5th. So I'll pray, and then you feel free, spread throughout the room if you want, um, do whatever you need to pray, and then we're going to have one more worship song, and then Scott's going to send us out. Father, God, you've been so faithful to us. God, just as we sang this morning, God, you've rescued us. God, I'm just so thankful, even in our prayers, you didn't leave us to our own, God. That in our prayers, when we come before you, Father, that you've, you've even taught us that we have the Holy Spirit to rely on. That when we don't know words, Father, when we don't know what to say, that the Holy Spirit makes up for the gaps in our prayer. And so, Father, I ask this morning, God, that we can pray to you in confidence. That we can know that it's not our words necessarily that matter, Father, but it's our hearts. God, I pray that we're a people that we submit ourselves before you. And God, we just ask that you go before us on August 5th. If it's your will, Father, we ask that you bring many people here for the kingdom. God, we understand we are a sent people. We are loved by you. God, that you've rescued us and we do nothing on our own ability. So God, I ask that we just send ourselves out and we show that same love to people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.